Chris Herring, if you're a Knicks fan, you had a roller coaster weekend, sir. First, you got more of the same from Jalen Brunson. Brunson, great nice. hesitation, nice. blow by nice. bucket against Rozier. There is that hesitation crossover move. Then you saw something you never want to see. As Randall is shaken up, favoring that right shoulder. Oh boy. Oh boy is right. Of those two moments, which one will define the 2024 Knicks more, you think? I actually think it's probably what Brunson's been doing and what the team has been doing lately. Uh, I think that they're certainly capable of continuing to win because the win streak lately hasn't necessarily been a function of what Randall was doing. And I think that's the difference. And even Brunson and what he's doing, there's been more to it than that. They've unlocked something different. And I think they've truly found an identity lately. And so I think it's probably more the former than it is the latter. An identity. What would we say the identity of the New York Knicks is besides being the Knicks and not going to the finals? <laughs> you said that, not me. The identity of this team since the new year, since they got OG Ananobi, has been that they're even more of a team that really I don't think anybody looks forward to playing that they're going to get into you defensively they've been the best defensive team in the league since they swung that trade and that they're going to wreak havoc they're going to make multiple efforts it's kind of the exact Tom Thibodeau team you would expect like if you had to kind of draw them from scratch close your eyes this is what you would get and I think OG Ananobi is kind of the clearest indication of that and that he brings that to life every game uh, they're they're nasty defensively. They've got guys that can beat you one-on-one offensively. They now can spread the floor differently than they could before. They know who they are, and, and that's always a little bit dangerous when you have some talent, some skill, a good coach, and then you throw in the identity part of it too. Stop me if you've heard this one before. The Knicks are back. I know, there have been many versions of this over the last 20-plus years in New York. But trust me, this time, it just might be for real. Fueled by a budding superstar in Jalen Brunson, the recent addition of OG Ananobi, and a coach that just won't quit, suddenly the Knicks are the team that no one wants to play. So today... Chris Herring joins us to talk about how this grand plan came to fruition and why fans in New York have their sights set on a deep playoff run. I'm Clinton Yates. It's Tuesday, January 30th. This is ESPN Daily. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, 
Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Chris, let's get everyone who may not have been paying as close of attention up to speed. Can you start just by summarizing how this next season has played out so far? Well, it, it was a team that I think was coming off of a, a second round exit. They bring back essentially the same team and they start the season. They look okay. You know, some teams would say that they're, you know, that they're solid. I think a lot of fans would say they're solid, but a lot of people would have argued that, hey, they're just beating teams that are below 500 but that they're not elite and that there's nothing about them that screams out you at you that they're elite. Uh, I think that that started to shift a little bit um, around the time that they made this trade. They, they break up really a trio of left-handers, maybe the most left-handed team I can remember in recent history, Brunson, Randall, and RJ Barrett. They trade Barrett and they also trade a, a player that has been up and coming and has been a, you know, a budding star for years now, and Emmanuel quickly, their their best player off the bench. They trade them for OG Ananobi, who is kind of this stud wing defender, kind of a do-it-all wing defender, can protect the rim, can really get into people's bodies, deflects every pass. They bring him in at the very end of the year. He plays his first game for the Knicks on New Year's Day, and they've been basically unstoppable since then. The best defense in the league statistically when OG has been on the floor alongside Randall and Brunson, they've had the equivalent of the best offense in the league as well. It's not just style of play. It is effective in terms of wins and losses. The Knicks are 12-2 and two since the trade, for those of you wondering. And look, while they're part of the Eastern Conference conversation through the years, I mean, we've heard this story multiple times. This signing or that hire by the Knicks was going to bring them back to relevancy, and we all know the NBA is allegedly better when the Knicks are good. But for just about all of the 21st century, this has just not been the case. So now we're here in 2024, Chris. The team is rolling, as you've described. This clearly didn't happen overnight or with just one trade. How exactly did we get to this entire point? Well, I think on some level it was a, a difference in strategy um, from the top down as you said, this is an organization that maybe more than any club that I can remember, uh, certainly that I've covered, that did kind of rely on saviors. Uh, you know, going back to really the mid 2000s, um, early 2000s, you talk about Isaiah Thomas coming in and, you know, it, it, it just never really ended. Isaiah Thomas, the all the players that they had from Marbury on down, um, bringing in Phil Jackson to be an executive, which he had never done before, and paying him, you know, the highest amount in the league to be an executive, um, and hoping that he would turn stuff around. Obviously, Carmelo Anthony was there, and so this was different when they finally kind of tore all of that down. This was okay. We are going to bring on someone that hasn't done this before necessarily and Leon Rose to be the president of the team. But essentially what he's done and what the organization has done during that time, the Knicks have had developed, long developed a reputation for the idea of we need to get this done now. We need to improve this team now. Our fan base is not going to give us time to build this organically. Uh, and so if we have picks, but we see 
a shiny object out there, we're going to make a trade for it or for him. Uh, the Knicks have not abided by that in this most current regime. They've actually kept all their picks, whereas they used to kind of be out of picks all the time to trade for a star or trade for anything, really. Uh, the Knicks have held on to essentially all their picks over recent years. Um, even in getting Ananobi, they didn't give up picks. They instead gave up talent in R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly. And so, you know, they were able to be in the conversation for the Donovan Mitchell trade. They're still able to be in a conversation if there's another star that they want to poach from somewhere else. They've got that in the cupboard. So I think that's one thing is that they've leaned more on development. The Leon Rose deal wasn't just some sort of them giving somebody a chance. It was very interesting in itself. I mean, the guy was an agent. This had shades of Rob Palenka in terms of the Lakers GM who used to be an agent coming in to lead a team. What did you think about that at the time in terms of the direction they were taking in that risk versus the reward? Yeah. So, I mean, it, he was not the first person to do it. As you mentioned, Palenka, Arn Tellum was someone else who, uh, who, who took on a role like that in Detroit. Uh, I didn't have any firm thoughts other than this is something different. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's always kind of the hot take machine going and saying, this is terrible. This is a mistake. You know, it would have been easy to say that Phil Jackson had taken on the role without any executive experience in New York. And so Leon Rose didn't have that either. But he was also maybe the most powerful agent, the most connected agent of his time when he was doing that. And so having great player relationships is not a bad thing. Let's fast forward a little bit to 2022, where the worst kept secret in the league came to fruition. Free agent Jalen Brunson was leaving Dallas and signing with New York. In your time covering this team, where would you rate the significance of that moment for the Knicks? If we're talking about recent history, it's right at the top. If we're talking about the history of the organization, I still think it probably deserves to be somewhere near the top. Uh, this was a controversial signing for some people. I never really saw it as controversial. I, I think it's just one of those things where the Knicks get more attention than most other teams. But let's be honest here. This is also a team that, aside from a, a three, four-week window with Jeremy Lin, has not really had top-caliber point guard play. Uh, really, I won't say ever, but it, you have to go back to Mark Jackson to really the last time that they consistently had a real advantage at that position. So they signed Brunson. They brought him in on a deal that was in excess of $100 million for four years, which just because the cap was changing, a lot of people freaked out and said that's way too much to commit to someone that up until this past season had not been a starter. And he has paid off more than I think even Leon Rose and the Knicks could have imagined, more than the fan base could have imagined. I, I think it's a little premature to say that he's been a superstar, but he has been every bit a star to the point where I actually think that calling him a snub sells it short in terms of not being named an all-star starter. They've had their hot streak, but the Julius Randle injury, we need to get into a little bit. We don't know the extent of it, sure. but most people are saying if he's gone for a long period of time, the team is cooked. Do you believe that? And is that fair to what the Knicks have put together so far? Well, I, I think there's layers to it, right? Like I, I, th I think Woj just came out with a report that there's some indications that it might not be a months long thing. It might be a weeks long thing, which obviously th those shades are much, much different. If it's months, you're talking about maybe toward the end of the season that he comes back. If it's weeks, uh, you know, it, it's the NBA today's NBA where most superstars stars, most players at this point are going to miss weeks worth of games at some point, whether it's coach's decision 
whether it's injury, you know, Randall has, has kind of famously not gotten hurt all that often, certainly during the regular season. And offensively, if you look at their numbers with Brunson, but without Randall, and, and even going back to when they had Barrett, without Barrett, they've been something like a plus 15, a plus 16, a plus 17 per 100 possessions with Brunson on the court. And so it's not to say that they'll thrive without him. It's not to say that they'll definitely be good without him, because I do think that it's hard to replace 24 points, nine rebounds, five assists. He's a major cog in what they do, but I don't think it's impossible or or improbable that they would be okay without him for a couple of weeks, especially you imagine it changes the morale quite a bit if he's out for a couple of weeks as opposed to a couple months. They say he plays like a football player on the basketball court. Do we have any idea of what the extent <laughs> of the actual injury is there in New York, or is this still just in completely speculative mode? So he, he dislocated his right shoulder. Uh, I, I was at the game the other day, and you could tell it was bad uh, against the Heat when he got up and he needed them to help him up with his left arm alone and wouldn't let anybody touch his right arm. They tried to then kind of pop his right arm back into his socket. And Julius Randle, a guy that, again, has played through just about everything, immediately kind of hunched over and, and jogged back to the locker room. So you knew it was bad. And the MRI becomes really important because it becomes a question of, has someone torn an aspect of their rotator cuff? Um, you know, have they torn their labrum or something like that? And that was essentially, I think, what happened. Uh, Job ja Morant's injury was along those lines. Uh, Jalen Brunson, even, if you go back to his second season in the league, had a dislocated shoulder. They popped it back into place right away. But then they found that he had a torn labrum. And so after those couple of weeks were over and they tried to let the injury calm down a little bit, they found, actually, you can't play on this. You need to have surgery. Uh, and it ends your season at that point. So I think that's the concern the Knicks haven't said definitively yet. Uh, we're just going on the reporting that's out there. But um, I think that there are hopes that it won't be quite as bad as what it could be. It will not be a season-ending thing um, if the indications are correct so far. Surgery would likely mean he's done for the season, but not rooting for that if you are a Knicks fan. Coming up, taking a look at this team beyond their current hot streak. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Father's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Father's Day. Whether you're shopping for your brother's first Father's Day or your Renaissance man grandpa, whose interests, of course, are all over the map, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price, anywhere from $25 and under to $100 and over. You can also sort by category, like cologne, watches, and more, or gift lists 
for items like, I don't know, your grill master or golfer in your life. You can also get top tech from Beats headphones to JBL portable speakers. Or if you're looking for top brands, you'll find gifts from Calvin Klein, Polo Ralph Lauren, and Columbia. So what are you waiting for? Father's Day is June 16th and we'll be here before you know it. Macy's offers the ultimate gift guide to making selecting something special for dad incredibly easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Chris, as you mentioned, OG Ananobi looks to be the crucial new part of this Knicks machine. What does he bring to New York that players like Barrett and Quickly just couldn't? So I think the the biggest thing that he brings is literally, you know, it has to do with how big he is. He's he's a, a huge NBA wing who moves around the floor really fluidly. Um, that, you know, in light of what I was saying before about their starting center and their backup center even being out at one point, that you can feasibly kind of plug him in to the five spot at times. I wouldn't say to do it for a whole game, but for possessions here and there on switches, certainly he's big enough and strong enough to hold his own. That's not something that you could ask of RJ Barrett or Emmanuel quickly. Um, who's a little bit more slight frame wise. Um, so there's that. I mean, he's an all NBA defender. I think he finished seventh and defensive player of the year voting last year. I would imagine that he's going to finish higher than that this season. If he can keep this up to take a team that had been relatively average defensively and make them the best defensive team in the league. That's largely because of him. Um, I think what he brings offensively that they didn't have in those guys, uh, certainly Barrett, is he's just a a really, really good role player from the standpoint of he is going to back cut you if you're not paying attention. He gets into, you know, he helps guys out from that standpoint. He can be a release valve. He's a guy that if you take the risk of doubling Brunson or throwing a second guy on Brunson, you help too aggressively, you throw a second guy on Randall. Yes, you can knock the ball loose from Randall, but what if Randall sees an open man in the corner and flings the ball to him? Adenobi has essentially been that guy. This just gives them more balance, to answer your question, on a really base level. Um, They had three left-handed players that all really were looking to create their own shot. This gives them now two guys like that, but then a role player that kind of floats around the floor and can kind of just hurt you when he's left open. And, And Barrett didn't quite fit that. Quickly, I think they are still really missing his absence because he was a guy that came off the bench for them. And so their offense now, when they go to their bench, has been weakened. But there is a thought that they could at least strengthen that part of their rotation through, you know, through a trade or something as the deadline approaches. We'll get to that part in a second. But, you know, one of the interesting things about this team, I think about this all the time with NBA teams, is how do you actually build a core? How do you get guys to like each other? And the Knicks have gone about it in a very interesting way, which is basically getting a bunch of guys from the same school who play for the same coach through Villanova. (laughs) Jalen Brunson, Josh Hart, Dante DiVincenzo, the list goes on. You know, they seem to have a lot of fun on the court and off the court. How much do you think that sort of linkage in terms of the school actually matters to this roster? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's huge. Um, Having spent the better part of the last two weeks around the team, with the team in the locker room and stuff like that. They they clearly, clearly like each other. I actually think it was part of what made the Barrett and quickly trade interesting beyond just the X's and O's. The locker room really 
gels well together. This is a team that has largely been together now for a few years. Um, and you could tell that it was difficult for them to say goodbye to those two guys that had been there basically for the whole ride of, of, of this new playoff window that they've opened for the last three years or so, four years. Uh, they played against them recently. They, you know, it's so rare to see the Knicks have like a tribute video to an opponent because most players don't stay in a Knicks uniform long enough, certainly from the time that they're drafted to have that. And so you could tell that they were touched emotionally by it. The players in the Knicks locker room were saying that it was difficult to see it, but they were all, you know, quickly and Barrett were referencing just how important and how meaningful someone like Julius Randle was to them. So it's a locker room in an organization where the people like each other and you see them going to uh, there was a Villanova game at the garden recently and you see a couple of them there just kind of laughing it up having a good time the jokes that they make about each other Josh Hart kind of making a joke about Jalen Brunson not being named a starter and it's one of those things where you can only do that when you're really really close friends with someone but you do get the impression that this goes a lot deeper than just the wins and losses and just the practices and stuff like that, that they hang out on their own time, that they play video games together on their own time, that they're annoyed when one teammate doesn't show up for the scheduled video game playing time that they have set up for each other and whatnot. Since this team has already changed for the better with this trade, what should we expect from the Knicks at the trade deadline? And if they do stand pat, will the fans at MSG stand for this? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. If they don't bolster the bench at all, uh, like they've been running lineups out there with Ananobi and kind of the second group, and I don't think that would be good enough in, in the playoffs. I think you could get through a round like that. I don't think that you're going to beat a team like the Celtics without a bench, even knowing that you're going to play your starters for longer periods of time in, in the playoffs, obviously. But keep in mind, it's Tom Thibodeau. He's always been Tom Thibodeau. He's famous, infamous, depending on how you look at it, for playing guys long minutes during the regular season, which, you know, I think the running narrative has always been like, well, can his teams find a higher level in the postseason because of that? Because other teams kind of rest their guys to make sure that they have another level in the playoffs. They're going to need an infusion at some point. I think Malcolm Brogdon is a guy that could potentially make a lot of sense for them. I don't think the Knicks fans would quite understand it if they don't make any move, but also why be in the business of fixing something that's not broken? And there's got to be some validity to that. I mean, Randall got hurt in what was arguably garbage time. And I mean, look, you can say what you want about Tibbs and what he does, but in the modern NBA, it just sort of feels like something kind of has to change in order to be able to realistically expect to make a deep run just on man hours on the court, if you will. Yeah. And I mean, to that point, not to credit him for every single thing that they've been doing lately, but I mean, again, they, they beat the defending champs by 38 in a game where OG Ananobi was a plus 38. Uh, I think it was the worst loss that Nikola Jokic has experienced as um, as an NBA player. So they they have games now where they're really just rolling opponents. Um, OG Ananobi has had the best plus minus essentially in NBA history through the course of 14 or 15 games. So if they can win multiple games like this, you would hope that it gives them more opportunity to rest guys, particularly at times where they maybe have a back-to-back or something like that. You don't have a need to play your guys deep into the fourth quarter if they're winning by those margins, which has been unusual for the team, but lately they've been doing that a lot. 
because it seems pretty definitive at this point that if they stay anywhere near the trajectory that they're on, which would be about a 50-win team or so, that um, that this team is going to be in the playoffs and that you have to start turning your attention and your focus toward that. Thibodeau's thought that, you know, if you're if you have to get ready for the playoffs, then you're not ready mm. for the playoffs. And and it's just a difference in mentality. But uh, but that's the way he's always gone at it. We'll obviously see how it works when they get there. Last thing I'll ask you, let's just say that everybody stays together. Let's just say that the injury situation works out. What's the realistic window for the Knicks becoming an actual contender to make an NBA Finals out of the Eastern Conference? I mean, I don't want to speak out of school here, out of turn. I if they bolster their bench just a little bit, I, I kind of wonder, are they there already? It doesn't mean that they're the favorite. Um, but I, I think with the questions that we've seen and heard out of Milwaukee and the fact that we're going to, you know, we're going to see what Philly is exactly when they get to the postseason, And we saw that the Sixers fell short last year. Aside from the Celtics, I don't think that there's anyone that the Knicks really look at and say, man, they're they're just flat out better than we are. Uh, the Bucks did beat the Knicks most times this season. The Knicks were able to get the best of them uh, on Christmas. But I, I, I think that this is a team that fundamentally, even with that in mind, has looked so completely different from the first, you know, two months of the season. They swung this trade and all of a sudden it's a team that plays exactly the way Tom Thibodeau would like them to play. I think that they are very quickly kind of adding themselves to that conversation of contender in the same way that I think the Clippers did earlier in the season and just people weren't paying attention because after five games, they were written off. I think we've kind of been lulled to sleep by the Knicks getting knocked out of the playoffs the last few years and having largely the same rotation. But the Ananobi deal was just massive for them in terms of what he brings to the team, how he changes the team. And I don't think you can count out a team that um, that becomes the best defense in the league and has more offensive versatility to it than it did before. But I, I think largely what they would need to become a contender is in their building already. If that's not the case, even if they fall short this year, they still have the pieces in place and the assets in place to make a move for a bigger name to, to plug into that, to give them more offense. So I, I, I don't think they're far away at all. I, I I'm speaking a little bit from a place of I'm not sure that they'll do this, but I think they could already be a contender, and that's how well they've been playing lately. He's not only an author, he's a gentleman and a scholar, and there are a few of us left. Thank you, Chris. Thanks so much for having me, Clinton. Appreciate you. I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow, kiddos.